Well, this evening we come to the end of this series in this portion of the book of Psalms. And as you will have seen as we read that passage earlier from Psalm 72 verses 12 to 20, that it ends actually with a statement. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And that's the second division. You'll see then it says book three, Psalm 73 to 89. That this uh, division in the book of Psalms that uh, we have and reasons were not entirely clear and why this is called the, the end of his prayers, David. Well, some think, and not without good reason, that perhaps this was actually chronologically the last Psalm that he penned, that he was actually near to death, reaching the end of his life when he wrote it. We saw last time that much of what is, is here in this psalm, at least in part, can be applied to his son Solomon, that he is now actually reigning. That David is fading, having made clear and had public proclamation that Solomon, not Adonijah, was to follow him as king. That he's now installed in office and David's part, as it were, is now coming to an end, his own Time as king has now reached its conclusion. And Solomon is properly the king. And all that is said of him, well, we saw last week, the fulfillment of it. The way in which he brought peace and stability and prosperity. But beyond him, as we saw, and this is where we're going to be very much this week, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him spoken of, fulfilling the things of Psalm 72 and Therefore, David, who was a prophet and on his deathbed and looking beyond his own life, beyond his own son Solomon's life and rule, seeing a greater than Solomon, seeing his own great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing to see that day. So the second book, Psalms, finishes and finishes very similarly, actually, to all of the different divisions in the book of Psalms. If you, if you look at them, and well, labor this point at great length, but if we were just to, to refer briefly to the, the various places where those divisions come. And they end very similarly with praise to God, with a great declaration of praise. Psalm 41, verse 13. It's a shorter doxology than we have here in Psalm 72 and verses 18 and 19, but it's the same kind of theme. As it finishes there, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And we can set that alongside, as I say, Psalm 72 verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And we'll want to just refer a little further on to Psalm 89, verse 52, which concludes there the third section of the book of Psalms. Shorter verse, but the same theme. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen.
whatever had been preceding that and well, there's been quite a, a heavy theme towards the end of Psalm 89, but it finishes, the book, this third section finishes with that same doxology, praise to God. And just a, a little bit further on, and to Psalm 106, verse 48, which concludes the fourth book of Psalms, and you got it again there. Verse 46 I'll be upon verse 48 of Psalm 106. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the final Psalm, Psalm 150, which in a way is just an extended version of that. Everything is to praise God. And that's how it finishes, doesn't it, there in verse 6 having enumerated where that praise should come from, and that's everywhere, everybody, everything, inanimate and animate objects. And it says then, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So those praises, doxology, concludes all of the different books of Psalms. And here, as we now more particularly go back to Psalm 72, the heading is this, and it speaks of Christ, because that's what this psalm is speaking of beyond Solomon. He does so much for his people. That's a bit of a banal heading, really, isn't it? But that will have to do for the now. He does so much for his people. And surely he does. That is something we surely cannot argue with. He does so much for his people. And something of that comes through in this psalm which is full of Christ, full of who he is, his identity, what he accomplishes. For in everything in this, the identity of the person is the key to the works that he does, to the effect of those works, the success of those works, the power of those works, the meaning of those works. It hinges upon the person doing those works. The cross, well, would achieve absolutely nothing but for the person who is nailed to that cross. That's the person. That's what makes the work of dying on the cross do all. That the cross, kind of shorthand for the work of the cross, all it accomplishes. It would accomplish nothing were it not for the person who is on the cross dying. Because it's him, then it accomplishes everything. The identity of the person makes all the work that that person does to have all the effects, all the benefits, all the, the activity that follows from it. So my first heading, no other name. There really is no other name. And it is his name, verse 17, that will endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him all nations shall call him blessed. Well, that's very comprehensive. Well, that name, therefore, must be very, very significant. If that name is going to bless all people, all nations, in fact, are then going to return back, as it were, and bless him for the blessings received, and that enduring name, that name that continues as long as the sun, that therefore basically is saying forever is the name to know. 
And in Acts 4 and verse 12, we're told when Peter speaks to the Sanhedrin and tells them there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name. You cannot call upon anybody else. You cannot rely upon anybody else but him. And then you'll have salvation. And he will give you the fullness of what that salvation is because that name and uh, our brethren preaching on that name a few weeks ago, Savior, salvation, great Savior, mighty Savior is bound up in his name. Yes, because the name gives an indication as to the identity of the person and what he's going to accomplish. God saves, saves indeed. And as we consider him, well, we consider that his identity is both divine and human. There it is, remarkable. That's the incarnation. And were we just to turn up a few references in the Old Testament, we would see all of it was anticipated, what he was going to do, this name that uh, was going to bless all men in him. In Isaiah chapter 7, there in verse 14. And therefore, as Isaiah tells unbelieving King Ahaz, God will give you himself a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know as Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, interprets for his own day those who haven't got much Hebrew, and that includes most of us, I'm sure, that his name will be called God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So is a child going to be born as human, but he's going to be God with us. That's God. That's divine. And it sure is. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ anticipated. Well, just to turn up another reference, a chapter or two later, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. I'm sure we'll be having this read, won't we, somewhere towards Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There you have him again. Child that's going to be born human. But what's his name? Wonderful. Well, whose name is wonderful other than God's? Counselor, who really is the only true counselor. It must be God. Well, mighty God. Yes, there it says it. Everlasting Father. He's eternal and the Prince of Peace. That's, that's God's work to do. And it's to be done by this person who brings together in one person, both divine and human nature. That's who it is. This is the name of the one upon whom we cry. And we could have quoted to Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 to 14. So there's the one who, because of that identity, God, man, divine and human, is worthy of our adoration, our honor, our worship, and our praises. He is deserving of that worship, the giving of our hearts to him. 
And then in the New Testament, why some of the titles that are his, the good shepherd, the true vine, our husband and our maker, the bread of life, living water, titles. This all belongs to this person here in Psalm 72 and verse 17. This one who only does wondrous things. Well, who does wondrous things? Well, only God. He does works that are beyond the norm, which are exceptional. That's in his gift to do. And we respond to him in worship. All of his titles derive from his identity, the very person that he is. And we look to see in that what it means. Well, his name shall endure forever. Who he is and the titles that go with it and what those titles are going to accomplish, those are going to be forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, he shall live. We see that in verse 15, repeated there in Psalm 72. He shall live. Eternal, indestructible, nothing. No, the devil and all his work can't stop him, can't deny him his place. All those demons that kind of try to get in the way of him in in his earthly ministry and try to interfere and why they even try to proclaim him, didn't they? And he wouldn't have that and told them to be silent and be gone. Didn't need the testimony of the devil as to his identity. But there was nothing that was going to stop him. We read in Luke chapter 4, that's not the particular thing I want to draw from that in a moment, but it's there in Luke chapter 4, the efforts to kill him, that having the temerity to there amongst these people who are just beginning to warm to these gracious words, then realize that those gracious words meant that Gentiles would be blessed. And as a reminder of that, he took them to Elijah. And who did he go to during that time of famine that God brought upon the kingdom? Why, he went to a woman in a Gentile area and brought her blessing and help. Or the prophet Elisha, who did he help? Well, which leper was cleansed then? A Syrian, a Gentile. And the people were enraged about this, that he had time and help to give to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Well, they tried to kill him, throw him off the cliff on which their town was built. But he, passing through the midst of them, went on his way. No, he's going to endure. His ministry on earth was indestructible. Deed, he and he alone in that way, determined that he would die, Jerusalem. He determined that he would suffer at the hands of Pontius Pilate, the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes, chief priests, he determined that that would be so. That wasn't going to destroy him. That was part, actually, of his indestructible ministry. He was not going to be able to save us unless he went through with that. Nothing was going to stop him doing that on our behalf. And so that name remains today. You and I can call upon him. We can pray in that name and know that his work has been accomplished and accomplished forever. We rely upon it, we remind ourselves at the communion table of it, and it's there as a perpetual thing in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. There is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And as is pictured here in the imagery of Revelation, 
with our wounds. He looks slain as one who has only just recently come through that experience of the cross, a perpetual memorial to his work, a work in its power and its effect, which endures forever. That is his name as saviour, and he's not lost that power to save. Call upon him. You haven't yet found him. Call upon him. He is mighty to save. He will save to the uttermost. He blots out our sins and his capacity and ability to do that will not change, not between now and when he returns. And still this message will be preached to the very last one of his people is called in to his kingdom. And then he comes in glory from above. He endures, his name endures, and we are blessed in him. Oh, that's the fact, isn't it there? We are blessed in him, through him, by him, because of him, through being united with him. And friends, if we're believers, that's union with him. was something that happened long before we were ever here, to be united in him with. So in Genesis, for instance, Abraham was told of this upcoming ministry, this Messiah to come in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's what the people of Nazareth didn't want to hear. They they felt only they exclusively as Jews should be blessed, not Gentiles like that Gentile widow in Zarephath or Naaman the Syrian. I know this is for all nations. It's a wonder, isn't it? Here we are reading this in Psalm 72, and it was there for all the people in Nazareth to read. Read enough things there in their synagogue, we're sure, but they miss this. But here it is. Abraham was told in Genesis, and there in chapter 12, and in verse 3, when he's called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and then again from Haran, the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you. Because you are going to have an heir one day, born of your line, and then born more specifically of David's line. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Genesis and in chapter 22, and where Abraham has shown his faith, God's power to raise his son from the dead, that if he plunges that knife into Isaac, the promise of God will not end at that point, even though it looked as if it was a seeming impossibility that it could anything but end. But he believed, no. But God tells him to stay his hand and then promises again. Genesis 22, verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations are going to be blessed in him. And this is something very real, very solid, very substantial. To know our sins forgiven, to know them blotted out, and to have as a result of that the gift and the grace of the Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, opening us up to new things and understandings, giving us confidence in the finished work of Christ, confidence in the word of God, building assurance into us. That grace works in us with such good results as his name endures and the benefits and the works that his name brings to pass, they 
endure. All of the things that we read, we read them earlier there in Psalm 72, the the righteousness of verse 2 and the, the uprightness of all that he brings. Well, that's part of his gift to us. Saving the children of the needy in verse 4, bringing justice to the poor of the people. Well, that's what he does there. And in all of those things, bringing help to the needy in verse 12, spiritually. We'll come to these in a minute. Spiritually needy people. And he has something to answer them with. And we're blessed in him. The Holy Spirit bears down upon us and provokes us and unsettles us and shows us our need and shows us his glory, compels us in the end to trust in him for eternal life. All nations, all peoples. And uh, the sample of that is there and the promise of that actually is there right at the beginning of the book of Acts, our Lord telling the disciples there whose own thinking was just a little bit too parochial. But he says to them, Acts 1 verse 8, but you shall see power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The promise of Psalm 72 and that's uh, all nations shall call him blessed beginning to happen. So in Acts chapter 8, just as a for instance there of that fulfillment and the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized there in verse 34, carrying on from there, his mind open to the scriptures. And in the end, well, what happens to him? He goes on his way, Acts 8, verse 39, rejoicing. He's rejoicing. He has been blessed in Christ. The promise of Psalm 72 being fulfilled there in the days of the early church. And in that rejoicing, in the way in which the Ethiopian eunuch correctly understood what is now his standing in the eyes of God, well, then we bless him. We bless God. And that's not as if we can add anything to who he is, not as though by our lives, by our praises and adoration, we somehow increase who God is. But we add our appreciation to him. We bring our own particular adoration to him. We show that we also would wish our names to be added to the list of those who appreciate him and show their appreciation, their praises and their adoration. We are saying yes, us too. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch, so we do, and we desire all the things which are here in verse 19. We, we desire the earth to be filled with his glory. We want others to bless his glorious name, that as we look on to being in his presence, glorifying him forever, but we want others there. We want the whole earth there. Were that to be possible, but our hearts for that that everybody should be there and the whole earth be filled with his glory, known, believed upon, and loved by all. So we look to give him prominence. We wish to show that we are his people by singing his praises, living in such a way that credibly demonstrates that we're trusting in him and want to do his will. He does so much for his people. Well, my 
My second heading, and that's my only other heading actually this evening, is help for needy sinners. Well, we've been, been saying that, we sure have, and well, just how needy those sinners are. And we've had this before in Psalms, it's often there, and well, it's all there in Scripture. Verse 12, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Well, that's not uh, there about uh, poverty, economic kind of poverty per se. It's not about necessarily those who are socially marginalized. Though often it correlates together. That those are the people there who have sold up really on any great hope in society, who see they have not much of a stake here on earth that's going to lead to anything significant. They're done with that. They see it's not working for them. And they're more ready, maybe, to cry out to him for help. And they find him a saviour who saves from sin, who meets the poor, and he meets the needy right where they are. Not coming with works to be able to present to him, with offerings aplenty, with talents and graces and gifts that surely will impress, but coming knowing they have nothing that will impress him, nothing to give to him, no achievement and accomplishment that can be made an offering there. They found that out, and they cry out to him for salvation, and they find that he is mighty to answer them. He redeems. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. In verse 14, they have no help, no saviour, no helper. They are enslaved. They are in all kinds of difficulty. And he will redeem them. He will pay the price for them to be brought out of that state of bondage and under a state of oppression and to give them then a standing in the eyes of God. Can't pay for themselves. We can't sort of buy our way out of our imprisonment to sin. We can't provide more works to sort of undo all the bad works of the past. It can't work like that. But he will say, I pay the price. I will pay for their deliverance, their freedom. I will do it. My own blood, I will do it. And the offering I make of myself, and that's the vital part his identity plays, my salvation, my sacrifice, that will pay the price for their deliverance entirely. And there's no kind of later installments. You know, you get your direct debit sort of schedule there and the first of the month there's going to be another payment out and then the next month another payment is done no further installments to be paid his blood pays for that deliverance that freedom that recovery now you see why we read in luke chapter 4 and the words of our lord as he went to nazareth what does he say to them well he says what he's going to do in psalm 72 the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Ah, the poor, the needy, those who know they have no place, no standing before God. Well, they're going to be preached to. They're going to be helped. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Well, they were there. He redeems from oppression, doesn't he? 
proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Ah, that now is the day of salvation. God is pleased to call sinners now, call the needy, show them there's the cross, there's the price for your redemption by you, to purchase you, to save you from the oppressor in that way, bring you safely now before God. You're now his people. We are spared. Spared. Wrath and judgment, God's displeasure, lay ahead of us. Not anymore. Not now. Now we're at liberty from that. Now we who are in prison, expecting judgment to come, couldn't see a way out, have seen the way. Seeing this is more than just a way out, more than just a, a relief. This is a joy. And this is now placing us in such, such safety and such deliverance. He really does so much for his people. And then, having saved us, why there is just so much else that he will do for his people. In the Old Testament, and often it's be expressed in sort of physical terms. So verse 16, abundance of grain. And there it is on the top of the mountains. It's fruit shall wave like Lebanon, sort of proverbial for abundance of it. And those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. Populated cities, flourishing cities, economically thriving. But it's a picture there of something bigger and more important. That's what he's going to do for our soul, that we will have a perpetual feast. We will always be able to go back to him because see, prayer will be made for him continually. There in verse 15, and daily he shall be praised. We shall remember him, pray in his name and praise him. And we'll feast on that. And he has much to share with us. Oh, we're singing that communion hymn this morning. I can't quote it exactly, but there, there it is. How luxurious the board. How, how much at his table we feast. And there he is meeting with his guests. That's, that's rich provision. That, that is in the soul of fruitfulness. That, that is grain in abundance. That is a flourishing like the grass of the earth. And that is his promise, dear friends, to us. To us. And he does so much for his people. These, these are just sort of shorthand descriptions. And we fill in the detail in our, in our own life and experiences. Oh, I remember when he did that for me. And, oh, that, that was so meaningful. So, such a rich experience and that deliverance. And when I learned that thing that really opened up a whole area of life. And so it goes on and it never ends, never, ever ends. Always looking to do more for his people. Always a greater feast still. There's, there's more to come. And just when he thought, well, surely that's it. Well, surely now I've kind of exhausted what, what, what's on offer. Nope. There's more. And there's, there's something different, slightly unexpected. And that is his gift to us. That is the one who will daily be praised. And we will see to it that his name is lifted up. We will see to that. Prayer also be made for him continually. We, we will heap honors upon him continually. And we will experience this great abundance, bringing to him our offering signal there by the the gifts of the kings of Sheba and Seba. Well, 
We may not be kings and queens as such, not in the world's eyes, but we'll bring the gifts that we have to him and honour him and praise him. And so we complete this section of the book of Psalms. I looked to see when we began on this. This must be a fair few years ago it is, and COVID and everything else interfering with it. But we can only echo again the, the prayers there. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Nobody else can do so much for his people than he. And blessed be his glorious name forever, that the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.